You're listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Dion Cordova of Truth Ministries Calvary Chapel. And so Jesus was letting everybody know, listen guys, he was saying, I'm using this attention that I'm getting so that I'll let you know that you, we all need a savior. We need a Messiah. We need a salvation because there's something worse than all of those other things that we have to worry about and it's called perdition. And so we need a savior. We need it, you know, because the other thing's perdition. We need a savior. And Jesus wanted everybody to know that salvation was available. Have you ever heard a siren from an ambulance or a fire truck warning that an emergency vehicle is coming from a long ways off? Similarly, the Bible warns us of the end times that's approaching for humanity as God's judgment falls on us. Pastor Dion clarifies today how only Jesus can save you from God's wrath. We can't have a relationship with the Father because we're sinners. When Jesus died on the cross, however, he washed away all of our sins. Jesus is the only one that can save us from judgment. Now let's join Pastor Dion in the book of Luke chapter 4 with today's edition of The Simple Truth. This particular passage, we've been talking about the encounters with Christ, and we've started since the very beginning of his ministry. And this is still early on. Jesus only at this time has about three or four disciples with him. He hasn't even brought Peter and James and John along yet. He's got Andrew, I think, uh, Philip, uh, Nathaniel with him. And it's early on in Jesus' ministry, just started. And uh, Jesus and his disciples had uh, been in Jerusalem for a festival called Passover. And after Passover, they headed towards Canaan. Uh, Cana, that's where Nathanael lived, one of the disciples Jesus was with. And it was a good place to um, go relax and just uh, rest up after especially a long walk. It's a long walk from Jerusalem to northern Israel. And, and so they started walking. They were headed back to Cana where just a couple of weeks earlier, Jesus had turned 150 gallons of water into wine. Right? Or as Gomer Pyle would say, shazam, right? 150 gallons. Most people are thinking just a little bit of water into wine, but 150 gallons he turned of water into wine. And they did that a couple of weeks before. They're headed back to that same place in which Jesus had performed that miracle. And guys, as we said, a small, in a small town, the Wi-Fi is slow, but the gossip is fast. And so that particular miracle of Jesus turning water into wine had spread pretty much all around northern Israel, all around the region. And a nobleman who lived in Capernaum, now Capernaum is about 18 miles from Cana, and um, you know, uh, Cana is up in the mountains of Galilee, and down on the bottom of that, uh, down in the plateau, of course, or I should say down in the valley, is the Sea of Galilee. It's uh, literally a lake. Um, it's seven miles wide, 13 miles long, fresh water, but they call it the Sea of Galilee, 18 miles from Canaan. Well, the word about Jesus turning water into wine reached all the way to Capernaum, which was a little city around the Sea of Galilee. 
There was a governor's official, a royal official, who lived there. He had a waterfront property, uh, you know, wealthy and well-connected, works for uh, the governor, and his son had become deathly ill. Well, the buzz about Jesus' miracle had reached Capernaum, and this man is at his wit's end. His son is dying. The doctors have not been able to help him. So this nobleman, as he's called in the Scripture, he um, runs to uh, 18 miles. He gets his fastest horse and he races up to Cana where Jesus is resting and relaxing at Nathaniel's house. And he comes to Jesus, this royal um, officer, and he says, Jesus, please, he begs him to heal his son. He calls his son his little Padawan, his Hito. Please come and heal my little son. I hear you're a miracle worker. I believe in your power. Will you come and heal my son? Well, it's interesting because Jesus, you know, he could have gone with this guy to his home, but Jesus didn't give him his presence. Jesus gave him a promise. Everybody say it out loud of what? A promise. And we remember that. Jesus ended up telling the man, go your way, your son lives. It was a promise. He could have said, I'll go with you and I'll lay my hands on him. But Jesus said, hey, no, 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 I'm going to give you my promise. I want you to hold on and walk in that promise, believing just the way you came, believing, having faith in me. I want you to walk away, believing and knowing that my words are true. And so that particular royal official, he hung on to Jesus' promise. We learned that Jesus' words are not just verses to hang on a plaque, but they are promises that you can cash. And every single promise of Jesus is yes and amen. Let's say it out loud. What? Yes and amen. Every single promise about, you know, your life, His presence, His provision, His protection, every promise that Jesus has made is yes and amen for us. It's yes and amen. So we ought to say, because we know that, we ought to say this, if God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Let's say it out loud. If God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And that's what that nobleman did. He walked away with Jesus' promise, believing God said it, which is Jesus. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. It's a done deal. I'm going to walk in the promise, and I'm just going to go back to my son. Well, guys, when, as he was going back to Capernaum, his servants came looking for him, to let him know that his son had recovered completely and was well and healed. And that's a good place for applause, a whistle, a praise to the Lord, because he does that, right? It shouldn't surprise us, but it's definitely worthy of our praise. He keeps his promises. Well, at this point, Jesus was creating a buzz in the region. Water into wine. The nobleman, obviously, who is a very important and popular person, he's, the buzz, his son being healed, the buzz about Jesus is running through the region. So Jesus used the attention that he was getting to teach and preach about what the world desperately needs. Understand that. So Jesus is getting a lot of attention now, and he uses that platform to preach and teach about what the world desperately needs, which is not government, but God, which is not riots, but revival, which is not a serum, but a savior. 
And that's what Jesus started teaching. All that attention, Jesus used that platform to share with people that their need of a Savior. Jesus was warning all of us that there is something worse than pandemics and protests and pandemonium. There is something worse than that. It's called this. Everybody say it. Perdition. Say it again. Perdition, which means eternal separation from God. And so Jesus was letting everybody know, listen guys, he was saying, I'm using this attention that I'm getting so that I'll let you know that you, we all need a Savior. We need a Messiah. We need a salvation. Because there's something worse than all of those other things that we have to worry about, and it's called perdition. And so we need a Savior. We need it. You know, because the other thing's perdition. We need a Savior. And Jesus wanted everybody to know that salvation was available. He was letting everybody know, guess what, guys? We need a Savior, and the light has dawned. I am the light. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the hope. I am the answer. I am the Messiah, he said. Isn't that awesome? So he's using that attention as a platform to let everybody know, guys, what you need more than anything else is salvation and a Savior. And I'm it. In fact, let's read it. Chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus goes to Nazareth, all right, from Cana after the nobleman's son is healed. Jesus goes to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, read this part out loud with me, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, and we'll find out what they said in a little bit. But here's what takes place. Jesus is just you know, given his promise for the nobleman's son. The nobleman's son is healed. The buzz is spreading, and Jesus is using that attention to talk to people and let them know that they need a Savior and a Messiah, and he's it. In fact, Jesus goes from there to a place called Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was only three and a half miles down the road from Cana, and it's just the next town over, and it happened to be Jesus' hometown. It's where he grew up. We all know that. Well, Jesus happened to get into Nazareth that day on a church day. Everybody say it on a what? On a church day. And it says that his custom, Jesus' custom, was to go to church on a church day. But that was Jesus' custom. He gets to Nazareth, it's on a church day, and it was his custom. In other words, he never missed a church service. On church day, he went to church. And so Jesus goes to church on the church day, and guys, this is one thing we can find out because we understand it. One sure place to encounter Jesus on a church day is where? At church, right? Because we know it's going to be there. In fact, 
So David said this about it. He raved about church and and finding the presence of the Lord at church. David raved about it in the Old Testament. Here's what he said in Psalm 65 and verse 4. He said, We will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the place of your presence. Isn't that awesome, guys? It's beautiful. And so Jesus, He graces every service with His presence. Where two or three are gathered in His name, guess where, where he, He's in the midst of them. And there is not a church service that Jesus misses. Isn't that awesome? 2,000 years later, He's still showing up. And guys, and so Jesus, back then, it was a church day, so He goes to church. And He's in the church service. And so, listen, the devil wants to keep you away from church. The devil would like you to believe that the only thing here at church is the coronavirus. Yeah, it's true. But it's just the devil's way of keeping you from the presence of the Lord. It's the devil's way of keeping you from Jesus, from Jesus' teaching, from Jesus' healing, from Jesus' help, from Jesus' presence. Can you say amen? I mean, some of our government leaders are telling you that that's the place you shouldn't go. You shouldn't sing praises to the Lord if you do go. And you shouldn't have communion. Listen, that's just the devil's way of trying to tell you that coronavirus is all that's here, but there is a whole lot more than here. It's Jesus' presence, His healing, His, I mean, His person. Amen. So get out here. It'd be awesome. So listen. Because the devil will do whatever he can to keep us away, but Jesus' presence is here. Now, Jesus gets to Nazareth on the church day, goes to the church, and Jesus was considered a rabbi. So he was asked to teach from the Old Testament scroll of the month. And that particular month, it was Isaiah. So here's how they did it. In the synagogue, which is his church, um, you know, what they would do is uh, usually uh, uh, one of the elders, they didn't have a pastor, one of the elders of the city would get up and they had a scroll that was designated for the month and they would pick that up and they would open it and randomly pick a scripture and read. Now, if there was a kid, a, a young man who was being bar mitzvah, is 15 years old, he would be the one who opened the scroll of the month and would read. Well, the scroll of the month that day was Isaiah. Jesus happened to be a guest a visitor, and uh, had been a rabbi, a teacher. So they asked Jesus to come up. They handed him the scroll. He opens it up. But here's what it says. He found the place. Everybody said out loud. He what? He found. It wasn't random. It wasn't coincidence. Like all the others would just pick a scripture and read it. No, no, Jesus got the scroll of Isaiah, and he had a particular verse in mind. There was something he wanted to talk about. And so, he does. Jesus found the place. He picked a passage that referred to the Messiah. It was a prophecy about what the Messiah would do when he was among them. And so, Jesus finds that verse. He reads that verse specifically. And what the verse describes is this. Everybody say it out loud. It describes what? That the Messiah is going to bring a rescue. So, it's pretty exciting. So, Jesus gets the scroll, opens it up finds that verse in Isaiah and reads it. It's about a rescue. You see, since the fall of Adam and Eve, mankind has been blinded, bound, and beaten by sin and Satan. Men are drowning in a cesspool of sin and death. Since the Garden of Eden, that's been the condition of man. Since the fall of man, that's been his condition ever since. 
Well, the Scripture Jesus read predicted that the Messiah would come preaching, healing, illuminating, and rescuing fallen man. All right? So Jesus picked it on purpose. He read the verse. And then Jesus proclaimed, I am the fulfillment of that Scripture. I am the Messiah. So after he read it, he handed the scroll back. He goes and he sits down, and everybody's waiting for the commentary. He talked about the Messiah. When he comes, he's going to do all that. And Jesus says, today, everybody say it, what? Today, the Messiah is in the house. That's what he says. Now, at first, you can imagine what everybody there thought. Uh-huh, right? Jesus was saying the same thing about Psalm 42. Psalm 40, verse 2 says this. Talking about God and the Messiah when he comes. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. What Jesus was saying is, I am that guy. All of the Messiah that's going to come and is going to pull you out of that bondage of sin, out of that miry pit that's going to rescue you, I am that guy, and I am in the house. I'm the Savior. It must have been a powerful teaching, right? Well, this was Jesus' universal message. It was the thing that he taught everyone everywhere he went. And some people believed and received Jesus' message. Like the Samaritans. We remember a couple of weeks ago, the encounter Jesus had with the Samaritans. You know, they were non-Jews. You know, they were unclean. But Jesus had an appointment with them, a divine appointment. He went and he encountered them. They didn't have to see any miracles in order to believe. They believed his word that he was the Messiah. And guys, the result was peace and joy and revival, awakening in their souls. It was the same message. Now Jesus preaches the same message in his hometown in Nazareth. But instead of the crowd believing him, I mean, this is his, these are his homies. He grew up in this synagogue. He knew everybody there. And he said, and I'm the Messiah. They said, orale, you're Joseph's son. Uh-uh. They said, get this guy a white suit, man. He's on Fantasy Island. That's what they said. Watch, here's exactly what happens. Verse, and they said, is it not Joseph's son? He said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many, uh, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. You guys got that? So Jesus says this. Jesus shares with the people there at the church in Nazareth, his hometown, that he's the Messiah, but they don't believe him. For the people in Nazareth, Jesus' sermon wasn't enough. Some people demand more than God's word. They want God to prove himself, to show himself. You know, put up or shut up, God, is their attitude. And you know, sometimes God will accommodate that. 
I don't understand why, you know, but God will sometimes accommodate them. But he's not obligated to. You know, there's creation and conscience and archaeology and there's prophecy. All of those things are more than enough proof to prove that God is this, that he is, right? I mean, you look at the stars in the sky, you look at our biology construction, and you know there has to be a designer, amen? And so there's more than enough proof. God doesn't have to prove it to anybody. But sometimes he accommodates us. Some of us in our unbelief and in our hard-heartedness say, well, well, prove God, prove that you exist, prove that you can do this. And there are many times he does. But he doesn't have to. Because guys, literally, faith is the currency that God blesses. Faith is the currency that God honors. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, and it says this, And it's impossible to please God without faith, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that God exists and that He is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek Him. So, listen. The people in Nazareth, They had a great light shining. They heard Jesus' message. I can imagine words from God himself pouring through the very Spirit of God that was there, but yet their hearts were hardened. They didn't believe Jesus because they were familiar with him. He grew up in their, you know, around town. They watched him play ball. They They saw him as a kid. They saw him grow up. They couldn't believe it. And so they refused to believe it. But guys, you know, Our unbelief will rob us. It will rob us. Jesus, in so many words, as we read the passage, Jesus, in so many words, said this. Everybody said out loud. You snooze, you lose. Say it again. You snooze, you lose. So Jesus says, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior that you need. I'm the one, right? And they... mm, Don't believe him. No, aren't in this guy, you know, Joseph's son. They don't believe it. So Jesus says, hey, listen, if you snooze, you're going to lose. Here's how Jesus put that. Jesus used some Old Testament illustration. In the Old Testament, there was a famine for three and a half years during the time of Elijah. All right? And because nobody in Israel, none of the Jewish people were believing in God, they were trusting in God, Elijah was sent to a heathen, or I should say a non-Jewish woman, widow, during this famine to help sustain him. Out of all the women and Jew, all the Jewish women, they, they wouldn't believe that God could do something spectacular. So God ended up sending Elijah to a widow woman's house during a famine. And he told her, can you please make me a cake? And she said, there's been a famine. I'm on my last little bit of flour. I'm going to make a little bread for my son and myself because she was a single mom and and we're going to just die. And he said, well, go ahead, make me some. She believed God and she received Elijah. And because she did, he told her that her little bin of flour would never run dry. As we cling to the simple Thanks for joining us here on The Simple Truth with Pastor Dion Cordova. Pastor Dion has been discussing what it must have been like for those who walked the paths that Jesus did during his time here on earth. We're in a series called Encounters with Jesus. The concept of meeting Jesus in person is kind of beyond us right now. 
But there were actual people who were living, breathing, hurting, dying, broken, arrogant, and even suffering. Jesus engaged with all kinds of people here, and it shows that he's not afraid to engage with you and I in what we're going through either. He's not surprised by it, and it's not new to him, the things that we're going through. He's aware, and he cares. Do you believe that today? As you listen to these teachings, our prayer is that your heart is being drawn closer to your Savior as you encounter Him in the Scriptures. The Simple Truth is a ministry out of Truth Ministries Calvary Chapel in Española, New Mexico. To find out more and to find our church, head on over to tmcalvary.com. Once again, that's tmcalvary.com. We'd love to have you come and see us sometime. If you're more of a phone person, you can contact us at 505-753-4363. Once again, that number is 505-753-4363. With that, our time with you today has come to an end. We're so glad you made some space in your day to hear and learn more from God's Word. May you find that you're closer to Jesus from having done so right here on The Simple Truth. You're the one that we proclaim. We'll be fools for you as you work in us. May your power show in the deeds we sow. Let us join our hands and together we stand. Together.